Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Now, I've said this for years. There is nothing more powerful than a mullet. A mullet is not a haircut. A mullet is a lifestyle. If you don't believe me, well, you're just wrong. Because the mullet is champion golfer of the year. I'm talking about Cam Smith. A mullet-rocking, beer-smashing, meat-pie-loving, fish-chasing mother pleeper. And he is your winner of the Open Championship after turning into one of the best back nines in a major that you are ever going to see. Now, I want to be clear about a couple of things. Number one, whether you call it a Tennessee top hat, a Kentucky waterfall, the North Carolina neck warmer, or business in front, party in the back, there is crazy power in the mullet. It is a fact. But having said that, just having a mullet does not guarantee success. You have to know how to harness and wield that power. You can't just skip a few haircuts in the back, keep it tight up front, shave the sides, and then just start stacking claret jugs. That's not how that works. When you step outside with a mullet, you're playing with fire. You're riding the lightning. You better be able to handle it. Cam Smith can freaking handle it. He started the day four back of Rory McIlroy and Victor Hovland. Yesterday, it was supposed to be all about Rory. It was supposed to be Rory snapping that eight-year major drought. It was supposed to be Rory finally breaking through once again. I mean, there are no guarantees, right? There are no locks. But when the day started, that is the closest thing to a damn lock that you're ever going to see. Until Smith snatched Rory's jug and his heart with an incredible and historic display on the back nine. One more thing I want to be clear about. Rory did not choke this one away. Rory didn't gag. Rory didn't get up in his own head. Rory was not up in his feelings like he has been in the past. In fact, the guy didn't play that poorly at all. He just got beat by a better player who is absolutely unconscious. Rory was good, just not good enough. The guy he did hit 18 of 18 fairways. He was 12 of 16 on the greens. He didn't have a single bogey. More often than not, that's going to win you the Open. But not yesterday, because he got wrecked by a mullet, finishing like a bleeping freight train. So no, I am not here to bury Rory. Although he absolutely has to bury that opportunity because he'll never have a better look at it at St. Andrews ever again. But no, I am not here to bury him. I am here to hype the dude with the sick, sick stash, brass set, perfect mullet, and ungodly putter. I mean, this dude's an absolute killer. This dude isn't just a guy with a sick look. He's mentally tough. He's physically tough. That's how you get these incredible headlines like this one from the Daily Star. Quote, mullet man, Cam Smith went from booze and fishing obsessed layabout to golf champ. Or how about this one from the Daily Mail? Quote, how mullet man, Cam Smith, went from beer swilling, lazy larrikin to the cashed-up bogan king of golf. I mean, I'll be real. I don't know what the hell any of that means. I don't know what a lazy larrikin is. And I sure as hell don't know what it means to be the cashed-up bogan king of golf. Sounds like dude went from being Spicoli to bleeping Tiger Woods in his prime. And if you still don't believe that this former lazy larrikin... Is mentally tough. Just go back to Saturday. He had a double bogey on 13. He finished with a 73. He was down, but then he turned it around. And nobody has ever turned it around at the turn on Sunday the way that lazy larrikin did yesterday. Birdie on 10, birdie on 11, on 12, and then came 13 again. Oh, the great putter Smith rolls in a big one and ties McElroy for the lead. Yesterday, he drove it left. A double bogey here at the 13th and thought maybe that was the end of his championship. Now he makes a birdie for his fourth in a row. Larrikin, my ass. Check that. Lazy Larrikin, my ass. Another bird. Then he chased it with a fifth straight on 14. Five straight birdies on the back nine on Sunday of a major at St. Andrews. 
I mean, going five straight birdies in Mario Golf is awesome. Going five straight on Sunday afternoon at St. Andrews to win your first major is bat bleep crazy. And then tacking on that sixth on 18 was pure filth. But then again, to me, even more impressive was the way he handled 17. Because it's one thing to play fearlessly when you're coming from behind. But when you get to 17 and the whole world there has got Rory's back and you've got the lead and everybody is looking at you, it can all change in an instance. But Smith did not change at all. He had this to get on the green. about all he could hope for right there. That's pretty impressive. Man, this dude's ice cold. And how about this? To save par. How badass is this putt? Crucial par putt for Cam Smith. And he's done it again. Can this guy putt under pressure, Paul, or what? He has proved it to the world. Players' championship was just an extraordinary display, Gary, but what about that? Yeah, I don't root. I don't root, except yesterday I was rooting because I hit this guy before the tourney at plus 2,200. Yes, I did, Rit. Plus 2,200. You think I want that guy to make that putt very badly? That was one of my bigger scores in golf. I felt pretty good about that. In case you didn't know about Cam Smith before yesterday, this dude is a stud. He is legit. And I could have told you back when he was on this show in January. All he's done since then is win the Players' Championship and the Open Championship and climb to number two in the world. So you close out a win like that for your first major. And the first question is, how are you going to celebrate? He also murdered that response. Perhaps you can tell us how you're going to celebrate tonight with the Clara Jug. <laughs> I'm definitely going to find out how many beers fit in this thing, that's for sure. My man, that's how you rock the mullet haircut. That's how you rock the mullet lifestyle. You can't have that lettuce, win that jug, and celebrate with a white claw. No offense, white claw. Or a few seltzers. And you got to blow it out. And he did. He was asked later on to predict how many he could get, how many beers he could get into the jug. He had done the math. Quote, I'm going to guess two, two cans of beer. Yeah, and how many more will you have after that? Quote, I'll probably have about 20 Claret jugs. Yeah, I don't care what your Sunday night was like. I don't care what you did. I guarantee it was not better than what Cam Smith did. Nothing beats planning to drink 20 jugs of beer. And you knew that he was going to give the fans exactly what they wanted this morning. Hey guys, uh, I guess everyone's been asking the question of how many beers fit in the, in the claret jug. Uh, it's pretty much exactly two. Um, yeah, I had a good night last night with it. Cheers. This guy, you're going to tell me, you're going to tell me five straight birds had nothing to do with the almighty power of the moule. You're going to tell me that? Then I'm going to tell you, not only do you know nothing about golf, you know nothing about life. I should have known. If I wasn't still in a food coma from my bender in Wisconsin, I would have bet Logue's college savings on Cam. The field did not have a chance against the neck warmer, the skullet, the Pittsburgh perm, and most of all, the achy, breaky, big mistakey this dude was so badass and it's got nothing to do with him getting me paid well maybe a little love it every single time i love that sound always pumps me up that is the sound of another sale on shopify the all-in-one commerce platform to start run and grow your business Shopify is the best. It gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I've done this myself with this show and my podcast and my side hustles. 
Shopify helps with all of that. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash roam, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Once again, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now shopify.com slash Rome right now by a senior NFL reporter for Yahoo host of you pod to win the game if I take two weeks off and this is the first guy I talk to when I come back that should tell you how strongly I feel about him and what he has to bring to it Charles Robinson is my guest Charles what's going on how are you Doing well. I love it. I'm right at the front of the velvet rope. That's awesome. You are, dude. You are. You can cut the line. All right, so you've been all over the Deshaun Watson case from the very beginning. And, in fact, you tweeted about one hour ago, quote, sources in the Watson case believe arbitrator Sue Robinson's decision could bump up against or even overlap with the first few days of Brown's camp. End of tweet. So let me ask you, is that just how long something like that takes? Or maybe is there some strategy behind that on the part of Robinson? Yeah, I mean, you can look at it two ways. It was interesting because late last week when I was speaking to people involved, the message I got universally was, hey, we're, we're a ways off from this. Like, this isn't coming soon. And I had sort of expected that it would happen um, maybe today. And, and I was told flatly, like, no, that's, don't, don't expect that. And, and the way it was relayed to me is now the expectation of all parties is that it's going to push right up against camp and maybe go into camp and – my question was, what's the what's the thought process there? And it was really one of two things. It's either, look, this is a federal judge. Uh, it's our first uh, decision. It's very important to be as thorough as possible because precedent's going to get set here. And, you know, she's going to take her time because she, you know, as an independent arbitrator, she's on her own timeline. Not the NFL, not Deshaun Watson's, not the NFL PAs or the Cleveland Browns. It's put in her hands for a reason. She's paid to do a job for a reason. So she's going to do it very deliberately and, you know, on her own clock. But secondly, and I, I thought this was really maybe a more important point. It was, hey, you know, she's really stretching this out in a way that, that could be offering the NFL and the NFLPA and Watson another opportunity at striking a deal here. And, and the reason for that would be if you're Sue Robinson, you're sitting there looking at all parties, particularly the NFL, and you're saying there's going to be precedent set here. So whatever I rule – and whether you rule it, you know, whether you appeal it or not, there's going to be an element of precedent set in terms of the suspension and how the personal conduct policy is viewed. Do you want to try to come to a settlement between the two parties so that I'm not the one basically laying down the precedent? It gives you an option to, to still be at the controls. You can read that as maybe, hey, the NFL is in some trouble here. Maybe the case presented a, more, a little more weekly than they thought. Um, or you can just, you know, read it as an arbitrator trying to do their jobs and make sure that, you know, if they don't have to be the person who makes the decision and there is a settlement to be reached, she gives that opportunity. We are talking to Charles Robinson. All right, so all that said, if you had to guess right now, what kind of a suspension do you think he's going to end up with? Uh, well, you know, again, this, this all depends on who you believe and, you know, everybody's got their own stance on it. The league is still sitting there saying, look, we're, we're hard and fast. We want one year suspension. That's how we're viewing this. Um, it's been leaked out repeatedly. I think there is some messaging behind that. And I, I think a little bit of it is, is PR. If this goes in a different direction and it's not a year, it gives the NFL the opportunity to kind of hold its hands up and say, look, we paid her to do a job. We thought it should be a year, but we're not going to undercut the process. We don't like it. The public might not like it, um, but the process is the process. She's a federal judge, and we gave her the power for, for a reason. Um, you know, that said, the flip side of this is when presenting, from, from what I understood, a large part of the NFL's um, sort of, you know, case here was that Deshaun Watson brought disrepute onto the league um, by virtue of his actions. And, you know, in, in bringing that disrepute, the NFL thought, hey, he deserves a one-year suspension given what we're going to bring to bear. Well, the problem with disrepute here, and this is kind of where I think precedent could come into play, 
The NFL has also said that owners are subject to the personal conduct policy and have to be held to a higher standard. Well, if you're now judging disrepute, uh, there are probably some owners, frankly, that were not investigated in certain cases. I mean, most recently, the Dallas Cowboys and the the NDA and settlement that was signed with cheerleaders that paid out $2.4 million, and yet there was no um, NFL investigation into that. There have been multiple issues with Dan Snyder, Jim Irsay, Robert Kraft, obviously, with the, the solicitation of prostitution charges that you know were ultimately dropped. Just a number of things where there wasn't a league investigation, and the union can sit there and say, wait a minute, if we're now judging disrepute, are we only punishing players for disrepute? Or is there now a precedent in place where owners can be punished for disrepute as well? No doubt. Such a good point. Charles Robinson is joining us. All right, so let me move on. I'm picking my spots here. But the Browns finally did make that move, sending Baker Mayfield to the Panthers. What do you make of that trade? And then how do you like that fit for Mayfield and the Panthers? It was, the, it was as good as it was going to get. Like it's, it was funny thing was nothing really changed um, in the matrix following the draft. It was the, the, the Panthers were the party that was interested. It was more just what they offered. They, they didn't want to pay, you know, $15 million in salary. The Browns didn't want to pay $15 million in salary. Um, it really ultimately came down to who was going to pay what. And when it extended out after the draft, it became clear that both sides basically had to look at Baker Mayfield and say, hey, can you play a part in the process here? Maybe give up a little salary that you can earn back in incentives. And it takes each team off the hook a bit financially and then we can fiddle around with you know this fifth round draft pick that that could graduate to a fourth whatever and the fact that Mayfield decided to take part and and give back some salary that he could earn back an incentive I I think it's good for everybody because now the Browns are sitting there saying hey you know chances are we could end up getting this fourth round pick out of this not a great situation but as good as it was going to get Mayfield can earn his money back on the field and the Panthers are sitting there saying this guy should be absolutely, um, you know, blow it out in terms of his motivation this year because he wants to sign a long-term deal. He's got a, a situation here where he can be competitive, win that job, and I truly believe they traded for him to win the starting job in Carolina. And, you know, everybody could potentially walk away from the 2022 season happy. All, all three parties involved, Mayfield, the Panthers, and the Browns. So I – if you ask me about the quarterback, you know, situation, I've seen both guys, Darnold and Mayfield, spent times in the camps last year. I, I think Mayfield is the more talented player um, and the one that I think is a little more set up for success. We'll see if that plays out. I think you're right. I agree with you on that point. Charles Robinson is joining us. All right, so what about Lamar Jackson? Like, it's kind of mind-boggling in a way that he still does not have a new contract. Based on your reporting, where do things stand with those negotiations and who or what is holding that up? I, I still think it's Lamar, and it's been Lamar right up leading to, to camp. I think what's interesting here is there's probably finally been some more communication between the two sides um, over the last two weeks than, than there had been prior to that. And I, I think, you know, the Ravens were sort of, when you talk to people in the building, they're just shrugging and going, we don't get it. Like, we, we want to do a long-term deal here. What we Like, he just doesn't want to engage. And their thought process was that, like he really just wants to bet on himself knowing that, Hey, in the past, every quarterback that's played themselves into a tag and actually played well has blown out the market. And Oh, by the way, there are a couple quarterback deals coming up here. Remember Justin Herbert's coming up next off season. Uh, Joe Burrow's coming up next off season. Russell Wilson is going to enter into contract extension negotiations uh, with, with the Broncos next off season. Those are some big deals, which means the market could push even further north. And Lamar Jackson, if he has a good season in 2022, should be positioned to you know land an even more advantageous deal than before. Oh, and by the way, Kyler Murray, let's not forget about that one either. Um, but you know that said, he, there's a tremendous amount of risk here, and I think people should understand it's not dissimilar to Baker Mayfield going into last year with the Browns. If as much as the Ravens love Lamar Jackson. They know what that price tag is going to be, and if for some reason he's injury-riddled this year, can't finish on the field, or for some reason has you know a middling performance the way Mayfield did last year, even if it's due to injury, 
it's going to be a huge storyline, and they're going to be there's going to be a lot of white knuckling about signing a long term contract after something like that. We're talking to Charles Robinson. One more thought, one more question for you: the coaching situation as it relates to Dallas. Now that Sean Payton is no longer with the Saints, how much pressure yeah. is there then on Mike McCarthy this season? And how do you think the big fella is going to show up under that pressure? I I mean, there's no doubt in my mind there's pressure. I, I, here's the thing. I think if you look at the Cowboys and they replicate last year's success, great. Have a good season. Um, looks like you're primed for a playoff run, and then, you know, you lose your first playoff game. I think if Mike McCarthy goes through that kind of a season this year and, and the Cowboys have any shot at Sean Payton, they will – Jerry Jones will 100% explore, um, you know, turning the team over to, to Sean Payton, feeling like he's got to get it over the hump. Now – the thing about Mike McCarthy, Stephen Jones, who obviously Jerry's son, um, who really heads up a lot of the operations now for the Cowboys, has been Mike McCarthy's biggest backer. But I think you can only hold Jerry off so long when he starts to get frustrated about performance. He was pretty pissed about how last season ended. And, you know, I think that continues to linger. you got to feel a little bit bad for Mike McCarthy because he knows what's going on. He knows how Jerry feels about Sean. He's addressed this publicly, even – kind of stating like, yeah, you know, it's kind of weird, but you just deal with it and you coach the team. Uh, you know, I think Mike knows the writing's on the wall. There's got to be success here that exceeds what happened last year. And, and that means some su- success in the playoffs. You got to win a playoff game and, you know, be able to show we're, we're moving this thing forward toward a Super Bowl. And that's why you keep Mike McCarthy. Have to. Actually, one last thought. What do you think or what do you suppose is going to happen to Jimmy Garoppolo? It, you know, it's a great – it is a really a great question because all the incentive right now is is on the 49ers in terms of, hey, if they cut them, great. You're just opening up salary at this point. So there's really – if you look at the situation, you're like, okay, well, if there's nobody out there who's interested in him and you're keeping him and you're not going to renegotiate his salary down for the season, Why? Like, what's the, like, you have to answer that question, and how does it not have something to do with Trey Lance? So I'm just telling people, if Jimmy Garoppolo is still on that roster when training camp starts, and it's kind of looking that way, like, that's what's going to happen, um, I, you know, I don't know how that's going to play out with Trey Lance because I, he has to come out and play well, practice well in, in the preseason and in camp because – Eyes are going to turn back to Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's going to become a huge camp story. He should, at this stage, for what they invested in Trey Lance, the team should have officially moved beyond Jimmy Garoppolo. Even if that meant cutting him, that should have happened. The fact that it isn't, that should raise flags to some people. There's a, there's a very legitimate question to be asked about why he's still on that roster. I think it's an excellent point. He is a senior NFL reporter for Yahoo. He is host of You Pod to Win the Game. And like I said, this is why this is the first guy I look for coming off that two-week vacation that I just had, Charles Robinson, my guest. Charles, thanks a million. Great job. Always good to have you on. Absolutely. Thanks for the vine room. Take care. You're the best, dude. If you follow me on Instagram, you finally got to put a face to the legend himself. Sure. That's right. My man, Woody. I did post a picture of Woody and I out on the town in Eagle River, Wisconsin. One more thing about Eagle River. I want to say when I drove in, the population now is up to, I think, 1,628. That's the size of Eagle River. 1,628. It's that small. So I had my first Woody encounter of 2022, and it lived up to all the hype. No, it was not for his famous breakfast that I've been talking about since last summer. That was scheduled But then he had to reschedule, so that has not happened yet. But it will. And if I'm there, you know I will show you exactly what it looks like on social media. No breakfast, but we did have a couple's dinner with the Coleman's, Matt and Lori, and Woody and his wife Molly. We had an absolute blast. Now, for those of you who do not know who Woody is, let me backtrack really quickly. Here is the short version. Woody is like half Paul Bunyan, half Northwoods serial entrepreneur. Like, I think this dude owns like 30 businesses. And I'd heard all about the legend of Woody, but I'd never seen him before his iconic pancake breakfast last year. And also remember, he had given our son Jake a job for the summer. He employs most of the kids around the neighborhood on the lake. So last summer, I roll into his house, beautiful house, you know, befitting of a guy who's half Paul Bunyan, 
half serial Northwoods entrepreneur, an all rich guy. I roll into his house. He's got this amazing house in this badass kitchen, and he's serving up like this 14 egg omelet. All right, maybe an exaggeration, but I know there are at least eight eggs in each one. So I finally meet the legend. He drops that eight egg omelet on the plate and he says, quote, how about a pork chop with your omelet Rome? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good with those eight eggs. You just hit me with Woody. And his response was, quote, you're getting one anyway. And he slaps a massive pork chop on my plate as well. I tell the story on the air, it works its way back to the legend, and ever since then, he's been saying, you wait, you just wait, wait until you see what I have in store this summer. All right, so I don't know what it is exactly, but I'm telling you, I'm about to get real now, I'm telling you, I have seen personally, and I have heard how some of these folks in the Northwoods get down with a fork and a knife. I've seen it. And I've seen enough to know, I feel like I can pick almost any one of them off the street and they'll give Joey Chestnut a run for his money. Here's an example. True story. So we go to this restaurant last week and this waitress is just busting her ass, completely red-faced, sweating, just grinding. And I love her energy and I love the vibe. And then I loved her even more when she volunteered the following story. Nobody even said anything. She just said this. She blurts this out. She said that she was out the night before, and she got obliterated. Responsibly, but responsibly obliterated. So let me just stop right there and ask you. What's your play if you go out and you get overserved when you come back home? And again, I want to stress, you do it responsibly with a designated driver or a ride service. My personal play when that happens And I always hate myself for it in the AM. But you know me. I'm going to make a pantry run. And I'm going to hit the sugar. And I'm probably going to hit it pretty hard. This gal says, after getting smashed up, she goes home. She passes out. She wakes up in the middle of the night and proceeds to cook herself, not her family, herself, a giant $70 ribeye. Big enough that she had to slice it all up into multiple strips. You know, like a pot roast or something. That big. What a freaking baller. Like, I'll come home and I'll get a handful of Oreos. But she's getting up in the middle of the night, firing up the grill. Or a frying pan. Or an oven. Who knows? And cooking a giant ribeye. She said it. A $70 ribeye. $70 ribeye there is like a $500 ribeye where I live. So point of the story is, she's a legend. I want to party with her and her husband. And when Woody says he's got something big planned, I can't wait to see it. And if and when it does go down, if I'm there, I will show it to you. And I've got a feeling my dude is not having that breakfast without me. True story. I'm telling you, I've seen how these folks get down. Not everybody. Not everybody, but I'm telling you, I could walk up and down the streets of Eagle River and I could pull somebody off the street, man, woman, child, teenager, geriatric, and I'd put them in with Joey Chestnut and I guarantee they'd hold their own. Some of them could probably win. She's just running around, man, red-faced, sweating, and she's like, oh, ho, 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 had myself a night. I'm like, really what? Yeah, we got all smashed up, me and the hubby. Came home, made a $70 ribeye. Wait, wait, what? Mm. And not only that, but like fell out. If I'm not mistaken, she said that. Went to sleep and then got up. You fire fire up the grill? I I mean, it's one thing to get up. I sometimes, full transparency as always, if I go out and have a pop or two, I'll get up in the middle of the night. Go downstairs, smash some Gatorade. I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't grab a piece of meat, season it, go to the backyard and fire up the barbecue at 2.30. Not just a piece of meat, but a $70 ribeye. What a legend. Hey, Woody, my man, no offense. Like, you're my dude. I think I like her better. Woody, until you start doing stuff like that in the middle of the night. Woody, my guy, anybody can make that 14-egg omelet 
with a giant Flintstones pork chop on the side, but it takes a rare person to get up in the middle of the night and make a ribeye, $70 ribeye, then show up for work the next day and grind out a 10-hour shift in the sun. Legend. This is what goes down in Eagle River. You wonder why I go there. She's the best. Let's see here. Oh, I love it. Hi, Jim. I learned two things while you were on vacation. One, you don't need any help with the geese. Those giant sandals you had on are fine. You can step in crap all day, and it wouldn't make those things look any worse. Number two, Woody is hot. Sarah T, that is incredible. Your first take's not. Hey, they're just slides, Sarah. What do you want me to walk around there in work boots? I'll update you on the uh, goose crap. Man, wait till Woody finds out you're thirsty for him. Add Woody to the list. Jack Del Rio, Kurt Warner, me, and Woody. Sarah, you are salty as hell, and I love it. Love it every single time. I love that sound. Always pumps me up. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is the best. It gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I've done this myself with this show and my podcast and my side hustles. Shopify helps with all of that. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash roam, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Once again, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, shopify.com slash roam. Joe Cronin is my guest. Joe, it's nice to have you on. How are you? Jim, I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's good to visit with you, Joe. Thank you. So I mentioned the organization did win the Summer League title in Vegas. I know that, of course, is not the ultimate goal, but from a developmental standpoint, what does that mean for the young players and the organization going forward? Yeah, it's a great step, you know, for these for these young guys to get five quality, like, high-level competition games under their belt, you know, and we're trying to reshape our identity to where we're getting more defensive-minded and just tougher and, you know, more of a team-first approach. And, you know, these guys embodied that, and I thought they really guarded and really competed, and it was just a great developmental experience for them. Joe Cronin joining us. You've got identity. You've got culture. We can talk more about that. I do want to ask you, you won that title despite the fact that Shaden Sharp, the seventh pick overall in last month's draft, missed the majority of the games. He's got a shoulder injury. What's his recovery process look like going forward? And then overall, what was it about him and his game that made you want to take him at number seven? Yeah, he uh, six minutes into summer league, he uh, had a small tear in the back of his shoulder. So um, we sat him out for the rest of summer league. So the outlook's looking pretty good. We're, um, we're hoping he doesn't need surgery and we can just rehab it and strengthen it that way. So we're hoping he won't be out too much longer, but um, it's a player we're we're really intrigued by that, you know, obviously we really liked him. We took him seventh overall and just a really unique mix of, you know, at his age, you know, he just turned 19 of, athleticism, talent, skill, demeanor, um, his frame, his feel for the game are just really high end. So we're excited about his future. We are talking to Joe Cronin. Joe, something else that came out of that time in Vegas, the official announcement that Damian Lillard gets a two-year extension. What does that extension mean for the organization? It was uh, an extremely happy day for us. You know, adding some more years on the Damian's contract, taking us, you know, another step closer to – him retiring as a trailblazer was, you know, a really cool moment for 
the organization, for myself, for him, for Coach Billups. It was just a, a great day just knowing Damian's going to be here that much longer. You know, I'm curious. He, he's been very clear for a number of years that he wants to win that championship badly, but he also wants to do it in Portland. Obviously, this is the goal as well, yours. Coming off last season, like, what is your mindset coming into this year? Are you taking it a step at a time, or do you feel like this group can maybe skip a few steps? Well, our goal, you know, we really reshaped the roster last season, and the goal was to do a, you know, we called it a high-velocity pivot, where we didn't want to take a major step back. We were hoping to stay competitive and be competitive as quickly as possible. So, you know, we, we feel like we're still building and, you know, we still have some more work to be done, but we also feel like at the same time we're ready to be um, very competitive. I actually love that line, a high-velocity pivot. <laughs> I like that a lot, Joe Cronin, joining us. You talked about the roster changes. A few weeks back you made a deal for Jeremy Grant from the Pistons. When you look at how he can impact a game on both ends, what does that arrival mean? And then how do you see Grant and Lillard on the floor together and how those pieces fit? Mm-hmm. And you said it, his ability to impact the game on both ends, you know, having a legitimate high-end two-way forward that – you know, can create his own shot, can make open shots, can, you know, obviously score the ball, but also what he brings to the defensive side of the ball where, you know, his length and his athleticism and his brain, he's just so disruptive and engaged. I think he's going to be a, you know, a great compliment to Damian who, you know, over the years has faced a lot of, you know, focus from the defenses and Jeremy helps break that focus. Also, Joe, you brought in Gary Payton the second in free agency. I've got so much respect for how hard this guy's fought and battled for everything he has in his career. But what sticks out to you the most about him and his game? Yeah, Gary embodies that mentality we're hoping to build here. You know, the the ultimate defensive disruptor, the team guy who can, you know, doesn't need the ball, doesn't care about the accolades, just wants to compete and win. So, you know, he's going to bring a lot of intensity and a lot of intangibles to our group. You know, Joe, I talked to you about the guys you brought in, but I want to ask you about the guys that moved along or you moved along. You were named interim GM during the season last year. You took over a situation that was not easy, to be sure. You end up moving C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance Jr., as well as Norman Powell and Robert Covington. What was the process like for you, and then how did you approach those moves? Well, um, it was intense. It was, you know, it happened, like you said, it happened right away, but, you know, quickly into my um, tenure here, it just it was pretty evident that we had plateaued. So, you know, we knew that we wanted to make some changes, but we were hoping that this wouldn't be a prolonged rebuild. So, you know, my approach was just get active and get aggressive and, you know, try to, you know, fairly significantly shake things up and create, you know, just a bunch of salary cap flexibility by getting off of some contracts and just giving us more options and opportunities going into the spring and summer, which you know, resulted in some of the guys we talked about, Shaden Sharp, Jeremy Grant, Gary Payton, those kind of guys. Joe Cronin joining us for a few more moments. I mentioned that you started way back in 06 as an intern. You're now 17 years in. You are the GM of the organization. And when you took over, you said, quote, I was built for this, end of quote. I really like that confidence. In your mind, what does it take to be a GM? And in what way are you built for this? Mm-hmm. Well, it was something, it was even, even, even as a kid, it was something I always wanted to do. Like when people would ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? My answer was always, I want to be the general manager of an NBA team. So I think when I say build for it, I just had, had always studied it where I just, I loved the game. But even when I was young, even before the NBA, you know, paid attention to how trades worked and how the salary cap worked and always was a big fan of the draft. So once I got to the NBA, I had, I had the opportunity to learn under a bunch of, you know, high-end people who taught me a bunch of different things. And, you know, as you grow as, you know, kind of like any person in any industry, as you grow and learn and, you know, develop new skills and take on new challenges, you start building your, you know, your book of what you are as an executive. And that's basically what I've tried to do. All right, so before I let you go, you mentioned Chauncey Billups. For those who do not know, you played your high school ball at Horizon High School in Colorado. And, in fact, for those who may not know, Horizon played against Chauncey and George Washington High in an epic game back in March of 1994. What do you remember about that game? I remember how good he was. You know, you just, growing up in Colorado, you always heard his name, but then you play against him and you were just, you know, he was obviously super impressive and you knew he'd be a really good pro but the, probably the thing that stands out most is he bounced the ball off of my back on an out-of-bounds play and then dunked it. And there's a video online. 
we were watching it when I first got hired here, and we were just cracking up. So that part probably stands out, but it's a little embarrassing for me, but it's still, we have a lot of fun with it. That's the best. So finally, he said that for years, anytime that he was in Portland, he was asking for you and trying to figure out if you were the Joe Cronin that he played against back in the day. So what's it been like overall working with him so far? Well, it's been incredible. Just, you know, rejoining each other or being in each other's lives again, you know, all these years later has been a, a really cool experience. And he's just such a, a fun person to work with. Like we care about the same things about winning and building a culture and, you know, being great people and great leaders for this group that it's been such a, just a fun and cool experience being together. Last thought, I'll follow up on that. You talked about culture a couple of times. How would you describe the culture that you want to see and you want to build within that organization? And then how do you go about doing that? Sure. Um, one step at a time. So we're trying to build a, you know, an inclusive environment where we are all, you know, we care about each other and we care about each other's futures and we're trying to help each other grow in this league. And with that, you know, we're trying to make our mark on this team where they're you know, playing the brand of basketball that we think is conducive to winning, you know, being competitive, being great teammates, guarding, sharing the ball. So one step at a time, we're just, you know, trying to put our imprints on this organization. Blazers just won the Las Vegas Summer League title yesterday. Their general manager is entering his 17th season with the organization overall. It is Joe Cronin. Joe, appreciate the visit. Thank you very much. I know we'll do it again soon. Thanks a bunch for having me, Jim. Jake Rome, our older son, He came down from Madison with his girlfriend, Jane, for a few days at the start of the trip. Jake was not able to secure the internship that he was looking for. Remember, he interned for the legend that is Craig Dato last summer at the Del Mar Racetrack. He was not going to run that back. He wanted to try something different, so he applied for a number of internships. He did not get any of them. It's really competitive. So what I said to Jake was, finish up your summer school class and spend some time at the lake. He's going to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He's a senior. He took a class in summer school. I said, knock that thing out, and then come spend some time at the lake. That's why it's there. Spend some time at the lake. Jake's response was, and I quote, nah, quote, nah, all my peeps are in Madison. All my people are in Madison. I already got a job working in a restaurant. And my response was, nah, your peeps or your family, and we're at the lake. And you know what else is at the lake, son? Lake life. Except the kid didn't budge. I told him I was proud of him for his decision, but I then took one last opportunity to remind him he is a senior and some real-world bull bleep is going to hit soon and it's going to hit hard. Maybe you want to take your old man up on his offer to come to Eagle River. And he said, nope, I'm good. I'll come and see you and mom on the weekend, but I'm good. So I'm proud of him, and I respect it. That's big bro, which brings me now to little bro, who's not so little anymore. Rogan Loam just hit 6-1. And judging by how many naps he takes... He's still in the midst of a growth spurt. Man, this kid can sleep. So he's 6'1". He's towering over all of us, and he's still growing. And he's going back and forth from Wisconsin to Cali, playing allegedly in some baseball showcases, trying to get the attention of a college coach who might be looking for a pitcher who drops down. So when I brought up the notion of him working, and keep in mind, I'm not saying working for the summer. I'm talking about working for a couple of weeks at a famous restaurant that all the kids are working at on the lake that my guy Matt Coleman and Woody are now partners in. When I brought that up to Logan, I already knew the answer. The hell he was doing that. Why would he do that? That would take him off of the water and away from all the Snapchats and phone numbers that he's been chasing. Snap phase. Which brings me to one of my favorite stories of the week. I don't know if it's true or not, but this is the way Logan told me the story. Logs is out on his jet ski, and he goes into town, and he's talking to some other people. Logan is now 17. He's talking to some other people about his age, and then he takes off, and then immediately regrets 
not trying to get this other young lady's snap face or telephone number. Snap face. So the way Logan tells it, he goes back, he finds the same gal, and asks her for her Snapchat. She says, I don't snap, but you can have my phone number. So Logan apparently waits as long as the kids wait. I don't know how long that is now. He waits as long as kids wait, and then he thumbs out a text. And the two of them have a brief exchange. This is a young gal from Chicago. Logan's a senior in high school. I think she's going into her first year of college. A lot of kids, a lot of families from Chicago go to Eagle River. They have a brief exchange, and they're texting back and forth, and then she drops this bomb on him. And I quote, she thumbs out this text, quote, I bet I can out-squat you. That fire. I saw a picture of this gal. She's maybe five foot three. Maybe. Logan's six one. In typical Logan fashion, because I get this from him all the time whenever I call him on anything, she says, I bet I can out-squat you. His response is, really? How much can you squat? And she says, 275. (sighs) To which she replies, maybe you can out-squat me. She tells him, that's all right. You still have nice arms. I'm like, I'm literally still laughing to this very moment that some gal that he met on the lake hit him right between the eyes with, I bet I can out-squat you. And she's probably right. And again, this is a dude who's getting into the weight room and working pretty hard trying to play and train his way into a possible college baseball opportunity. Crack me up then, cracks me up still right now. That's funny. Some of the funny stuff. Which brings me to something that's not as funny about our trip. A couple things, actually. Number one, the geese. We had a wire stretching across the perimeter of the property near the water. Remember last year when I said to you, does anybody have any solution for me keeping the geese from coming on the property? And a lot of you had a lot of ideas, and most of them were totally inappropriate. One guy said, you know what you do, Rome? You send them a message. You find the biggest one. You grab him by his throat, you swing him around in the air for all the others to see, and let him fly. They'll get the message. And then even some worse ideas. Anyway, I come back, and the people who built our house were amazing. The landscapers were amazing. And what they did, the brilliant idea was, they literally just tied a wire across the frontage by the lake. Like, these geese are so stupid, they can't get over the wire, apparently. I get there, and... Half the wire is still up, and then half the wire is down. But for the first week I'm there, the lawn is pristine, like I'm ecstatic. They found some other home and family to crap on. But as I mentioned, and it was for a whole week, it felt great. I didn't have to look where I was stepping. I could walk around without giving it a thought. It was awesome. But if something seems too good to be true, it generally is, because I wake up one morning, goose crap, Everywhere, everywhere, the lawn, and even worse, on the concrete. I don't know what the hell they're eating besides my grass, but something acidic, because that stuff stains concrete and you can't get it out. Disgusting stuff like that. Clearly, there's still a problem, and just as clearly, I still do not have a solution. Bleeping geese. Bad attitudes, too, man. They taunt you. And finally, I just want to address one thing about the locals in Eagle River. 99% of the people I see at Eagle River, and again, this is in the north woods of Wisconsin. It's a town with a population of less than 2,000. Not easy to get to. We fly through Minneapolis to get a flight into Eagle River. Not easy to get to, but awesome once you get there. Most of the people, I'm going to say 99% of the people I see there are actually thrilled to see the Rome family when we show up. And, of course, right? I mean, we're, believe it or not, we are good people, modest people, humble people, and we speak glowingly of the place. But there's still that 1%. There's that 1% that's got no problem getting up in my grill and telling me, literally, not asking, telling, telling me, dude, stop 
posting on social media about Eagle River because then everybody will find out and they will come and they will wreck the experience for the rest of us and it will be on you, Rome. Listen, I I have such profound respect for the people in this community because especially on the street that I live on, it's generational. Like you wouldn't even believe the stories that these families have. I, I had a guy come up to me in a bar the other night and said, hey, Rome, I've been coming here for 77 years. And I'm like, tell me more. I mean, it's incredible. Like, I, so many stories like that. I would never, ever disrespect that. Like, I have so much respect for that. I can't even tell you. I respect your opinion very much. No matter how wrong it is, when you get up on my grill and tell me, stop posting, you're going to wreck it for all of us. Listen. Nobody loves that place more than me. You think I want to wreck my favorite place? You think I want to wreck the one place I look forward to going to all year long? You think I want to wreck that experience? Believe me, I get it. I am a landowner there. I have a home there. It is the most unique and unusual neighborhood that I've ever lived in. Like, I like my neighbors in Wisconsin so much more than I like my neighbors in California. Hell, I don't even know my neighbors in California. So believe this. The last thing I want to do is jack up my new favorite place. That said, the next person who books a flight to Eagle River based on something I posted on social media will be the first. They're not coming. You have nothing to worry about. The other thing is, and again, I don't want to start anything with my neighbors because I'll be back there in a couple of weeks. I do have some vacation time left. And believe me, everything I say about these people works its way back to these people. I don't want to get on the wrong side of my neighbors there, but I I do have to bring this up. I don't tell anybody else there what they should and should not post on their social media. I don't tell anybody else there what they should or should not do with their home or their boathouse. But I guess I'm just different like that. Again, it's a tiny, 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 tiny minority of people who do it. Tiny, tiny minority. Most of the people there are happy to see us and all the love that I have for that place. Hell, some people now even come up to me and say, hey, Rome, Rome, can I be in a post? The other night I was on my dock, and you probably saw the post. If you follow me on Instagram, this boat full of people who had gone to the same bar and had been on the water for a while, man, they were hitting it hard. They were hitting it hard, and they were awesome. They were awesome. I'll tell you how hard they hit it. There are people, there's this thing. People know where we live. It's, it's just not that hard to figure out. They just do. And then they'll come by. There are these people that drive by really fast and give me a look like, yo, not happy to see you, brah. And they keep moving. I get it. Not everybody is happy to see me. There are the people that come by that are really happy to see me, and they just drive by really slowly, and we have a full-blown conversation. Then there are those who have been hit the bottle hard that will literally tie up to my dock without an invitation. Literally. I've seen people bounce off my dock on jet skis. They bounced off my dock in their boat. And, and it's out of love, man. They just want to talk. How you doing? How you like it? What's going on, Rome? And they're obliterated. These folks, go. If you, it's, I put it on a story so it's gone. They were awesome. This guy's like, yo, yo, Rome, you have permission to board. Let's go for a lap. Let's go for a lap. So some not only are not unhappy with me posting, they're recruiting me to get on their pontoon and party with them. Like super cool, super friendly. But for that tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of you that think that I'm going to wreck your experience there, understand this. I know this. I've done this a long time. To my friends in Eagle River, you have my word. When you see me post... It's nothing but love. You need not ever think when you see one of my posts, oh, hell, there goes the neighborhood. Do you know why? I would never, ever do anything to wreck my favorite neighborhood ever. We're all good. I promise. You do not need to worry. No one's coming. No one. You have my word. Austin 
Hooper, Austin, what's going on? Good to have you back. How are things? Good, good to be back, Jim. Thanks for having me. Dude, talk to me. I'm really curious. It's been a minute or two since we last spoke. So before we get into the offseason and the preparation for the year, break it down for me. Like, how is your life right about now? There's a transition involved. What's it been like? Yeah, I would say uh, it was definitely uh, definitely a lot more moving parts around around March, uh, obviously, when all, all the big changes were made. But once I kind of got settled in, Throughout the spring, being at OTAs and minicamp and everything, kind of just started to uh, get my feel, get a little more relaxed, get uh, a little more comfortable with the uh, with the you know new building, the teammates, the systems in place, and you know the city itself. So, I mean, things are moving a lot slower than uh, than they did in March. That makes sense sure. to me. That makes sense to me. I'm glad to hear that, and it's not surprising really because the fact of the matter is the Titans were interested in you coming out of college, so yeah. it would seem like it's a really good fit. Let me ask you about Ryan Tannehill. He's already been raving about working with you. What's it been like to get to know him professionally and to work with him? Yeah, Ryan. Uh, never, never playing with him didn't really you know know what to expect. Um, just you know watching some Titans games from a afar but uh i mean he commands a ton of respect uh within the building and within the huddle and uh the the guy can really spin it it's uh it's been fun working with him his leadership style um you know he's a uh he's a he's definitely a leader as you know all quarterbacks are but i mean his way is just a little a little different he has more like laid back he's definitely assertive don't get me wrong but it's more of like a you know teaching laid back style of uh atmosphere like when he's when he's commanding the room so i mean it's cool seeing how he does things and you know great guy to communicate with and uh and he can spin it so all is well austin hoover joining us i think it's interesting we just said that he's got a different way of leading that he's kind of laid back now he'll get after it when he needs to and he can really spin it i'm curious in terms of leadership style what then about your head coach mike vrabel vrabel's had a lot of thoughts about you and what makes you so effective but in what you've seen so far in the early going what about his leadership style what's he been like Oh man, uh, it's uh, it's it's been unlike anything I've I've uh, you know I've I've had in the league. Uh, he's a uh, he's a personable guy. Uh, but I mean, at the same time, I mean he'll, he'll let you know if it's not up to par and it's not up to standard, and I, and I really appreciate that. So, I mean, he he laid it out to me when I signed there, Jim. Like this is what's expected. This is what we want. And you know, as long as you bust your hump and know what you're doing, like we shouldn't have any problems. So, I mean. He just laid it out clear as day to me, and uh, yeah, that's it. Just the standards, the standard. If you uh, if you hold it, uh, there won't be any problems. If you do, you'll uh, you'll definitely get reminded of what it is. I love so. the guy personally. I think he's incredible. Standard is the standard. Standard above feelings. You know, he was talking Austin about your ability to get open. He said this about you. Quote: He's athletic. He's not the fastest tight end, but I don't think you have to be fast to get open. I think you have to be crafty. I think you have to be athletic, use different speeds, use the route craft. And to quote, like, Austin, when I talk to receivers and DBs about, for instance, Devontae Adams, they always talk about his route running and his craft. How much no of the game then really comes down to that commitment to the craft itself? Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, uh, Devontae is a Bay Area guy, so uh, I've trained with him in the past and just got the opportunity to see, you know, the best dude in the world up close. And, Jim, he runs his routes at, like, he'll be the first one to tell you. He runs his routes at maybe three-quarter speed, but it's like you alluded to, that change of direction, that sudden quickness. It's a change of direction that gets the defender. It's not the speed. Cause at this level, everyone's fast. Like, that doesn't separate you anymore only a couple guys that are still running away from people like it's high school in this league but it's really that change of speed how you can sink your hips how you can move your shoulders and head opposite of where you want to go just give all these false indicators that you know can create an extra 18 inches and 18 inches and the nfl is wide open so that's that's what i would say the difference is it's not about how fast you get into the cut it's how fast you get out how you manipulate the change of speed. I think that's awesome. I mean, you very clearly are about the details and the craft. I'm curious, Austin, like when when you work your craft, are you yeah. studying other guys when it comes to route running and route craft, or do you spend mostly all your time on your own film and self-evaluation and self-scouting? Yeah, uh, self-scout's an important part of it. But at the end of the day, like I, I love – I love watching everyone around the league and just picking up different things. Like, for example, when I was a young player, like uh, when Kyle was my coordinator in uh, Atlanta way back when, 
he told me to watch Jordan Reed, uh, you know, within Washington, crusted in that system, very, you know, it was what we were running at the time. So as a young guy, I watched a ton of Jordan Reed. As I got older, it's been a ton of Travis, uh, Kelsey, and uh, some Ertz. So, I mean, I have different guys that I look for. I mean, again, I think I might have told you this in the past. Like, I love Gronk. Gronk's great, but... <laughs> I mean, unless you're six six two seventy, like there's not a whole lot Gronk can do, like that I can pick up on watching film <laughs> other than just be a dog. So I definitely look at a few of those guys that I mentioned, like that little that have uh, you know certain techniques I can pick apart. I love that one point. Like, how much of that we've talked about the importance of technique and craft and details, but how much of it is just about being that dog and having that dog in you? Oh, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you can have the nicest footwork. And at the end of the day, it's it's, it's mono y mono. Like, if you want to get it, go throw it up. I mean, you know, I'm going to be pushing off. He's going to be holding. It doesn't matter. We'll go up and get it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's just different tools in your tool belt to supplement you being a dog. But, like, at the end of the day, you still got to have the fire. Austin Hooper's joining me for another moment or two. So you're one of a number of new faces on the offensive side of the ball. When you look around, and obviously you evaluated this opportunity before you went there, when you look around and you see the talent and what this team did last year, what kind of expectations do you have for the coming year? Uh, for sure. I mean, being a new guy, just kind of keep my, my mouth shut and just listening to them talk about, you know, last year's team, which, you know, obviously was a part of just hearing what they felt needed to be done and where they think they want to go. I mean, they have a lot of um, overall on the team. There's a, there's a lot of cohesiveness there. A lot of guys have been here for a long time. Uh, you just mentioned it on the off- offensively. There's a lot lot more new faces, but uh, the standard remains the same. And just talking about you know, don't panic. You know, last year's last year. We can learn from it. But that's the beauty of base camp. You go back to what our standard is, what we're supposed to do, and that's just kind of what I picked up on during the spring when they addressed it. Yeah, so one last thought. I'm curious, like, what's your mindset coming into this season? As an example, is it, hey, business is business. Guys don't spend their entire careers very rarely with the same team. You go to a new team, you learn a new system, you have a new coaching yeah. staff. It's just part of the business. Or is there a part of you that feels like, like, I've got this chip now and I've got something to prove. And is that part of the mindset and fuel or is it really just business is business? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm on a one year deal. I don't I don't need any more incentive to uh, you know play like my hair's not on fire. You know what I mean? I mean, it's uh, it's an awesome opportunity that uh, I've been given, and yeah, I mean, yeah, you pointed out. I mean, it's my third team now, so I mean, I'm not I'm not jaded in any way. It is a business, but I mean, at the end of the day, I love playing ball, and I'm gonna go out there and give it everything I got, and you know, beast on the one year, like I don't need any more incentive to uh to not go out there and get it. So I'm um, I'm really excited. Reggie, look at that. I go away for a couple of weeks and look who comes out. Reggie in Orange County. Reggie, what's going on? Uh hey Ron. <clears throat> it's uh <clears throat> been a minute. <clears throat> um my best friend uh Brad and I were uh, <clears throat> sorry, Rome, uh, <clears throat> disappointed with uh, <clears throat> the uh, results of the <clears throat> smack off. <clears throat> All right, fake Reggie, that's about enough. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. I think that once he smashed that record for throat clears in a single phone call, we had to let him go. We go to the phone, so let's go to San Antonio, Gino. What's going on, Gino? How are you? Romy, welcome back, bud. Uh, last last couple of weeks, you had some good guests uh, filling in for you, but ain't no thing like the real thing, baby. Glad to have you back. Appreciate that, dude. Thanks so much. Good to hear of you. Of course. Yeah, good to have you back and all freshened up. Uh, I hope you'll let me get through this take, not because it's going to be long, because it's not, but because it's not going to be popular, I feel like. Uh, but I've been wanting to make this take for a few weeks, and I couldn't because of some personal things. But fortunately, the topic has stayed relevant, so I'll go for it. And it's about the PGA versus Live, uh, the Live Tour. My whole life 
PGA, I, lo- I love golf. I love playing golf. I love watching golf. And the PGA has represented a lot of things, class, dignity, tradition. But with the advent of the Live Tour, suddenly the mouthpieces for the PGA have shown a, well, I don't know how to say it, but like a lack of dignity in the way they're talking about the guys on the Live Tour. Guys like Brandel Chambly and Roy McElroy have really showed an ugly side to themselves. And let me be clear, I do not like the Live Tour. I think it is not good for golf, and I wish it was not happening. But the guys who went to play on that tour have every right to do so. And as far as I can tell, they've handled themselves with class and dignity in the face of some really ugly commentary that's getting really personal. Chambly in particular has been acting like a hot chick who got dumped by an ugly guy. Before the live tour, he couldn't talk enough about how guys like Phil and Dustin Johnson were such great ambassadors for the game. But the second they left for the live tour, suddenly these guys are the worst people on the planet, if you listen to him. And Rory McIlroy taking a cheap shot at Greg Norman when he won his 21st tour event. So uncalled for. The Shark is a class guy, and you, Rory, you petulant, snot-nosed child, dropped your pants when you decided to join in with all the other bullies and take a shot at him and back the bus over him. Look how Tiger handled this topic this week at, at the uh, at the at the whatever they call it. My brain just locked up. But anyway, he came out and said that although it was a mistake in his opinion to join the live tour, that he didn't, uh, you know, blame the guys for doing it, but he just really disagreed and he didn't understand it, but he didn't put anyone on blast. He didn't get personal. He didn't do what Rory and Ramble did. He showed some poise and some dignity. Rome, you always say that we don't really know these guys. And by that, I think you mean that we tend to want to make heroes of our sports figures, but it works the other way too. When some Somebody like Kyrie decides to, uh, based on his own thoughts and information, not trust the government and Big Pharma with his health and had the courage and convictions to take a stand that affected him but to the tune of millions of dollars, he got crushed for it. He took a stand and was willing to pay the price for what he believed in. We used to applaud rugged individual in this country, rugged individualism, and now you get mocked for it. People have the right to make choices for themselves. It's practically what this country was founded on. Being a professional golfer or an athlete in general doesn't suddenly take that away. I may not agree with everything Kyrie says, and I don't. And I may dislike the live tour, I do, but I applaud anyone who can rise above the so-called wisdom of the crowds and think for themselves. Thanks for the platform, Romy. There you go. Good night now!